when we invest in organizations like Thelma's Kitchens and others, we're lifting up the entire community because that, that kind of rising tide lifts all ships. Those types of organizations, that's paying a dividend back to our community that's, that's building up the entire community so that everyone can thrive. This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by business leaders, entrepreneurs, volunteers, and visioneers striving to close the gap between their passion and their social action. They are the leaders among us who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charitable intentions to lead with greater social impact every day. Social leaders are the most impactful leaders in the world because... They are empowering companies and communities to sustainably solve our world's most pressing problems. Hey, real quick before we begin, I want to say thank you to Dan Stolp at Sandler Training. Sandler Training is the sponsor for this episode of the Social Leader Podcast, and they are your local leadership sales, sales management training and development firm. Thank you to Sandler Training and Dan Stolp. And now on with our show. Welcome to the Social Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Father Justin Matthews, back again with a great friend, J.R. Buckner. J.R., welcome to the program. It's great to be here with you, Father Justin. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's great to see you. Well, for those of you who haven't met J.R., you need to. He is the president and CEO of one of the best banks in Kansas City, First Federal Bank, who is doing incredible work. In fact, here at Reconciliation Services in Thelma's Kitchen, we just finished a partnership with them, and I'm excited to tell you about that. But one of the reasons I love First Federal is that since they don't have a, a particular owner or stockholder, they're really owned. They're a mutual bank. They're owned by the community, and they reinvest all of their profits into making home loans and helping people rebuild credit and build up their reserves so that everyone can thrive and succeed. They are one of the uh, fastest growing banks here in the Midwest with over 700 million in assets, over 25,000 customers in Kansas City. And JR, you and I met at a Vistage program from one of our mutual friends. And uh, we got together talking about social leadership, talking about the bank, talking about community work. Before we dive into that, I'd love to know just a little bit about your personal journey, your professional journey, and just introduce you to the community who's listening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. And uh, as we have talked before, you know, my desire to give back uh, as we met at Vistage, you know, the the phrase you used is the one that I love at First Federal. And it's it's really been something that's been a part of my life going back early in my childhood. But, it's, you know, the Sunday, Monday gap and, and eliminating that. And so, you know, I saw that it was modeled for me, you know, and my parents, you know, growing up as, as a young boy. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, my earliest memories are running around with my dad during snowstorms, you know, just pulling people out of the ditch. You know, he was a construction mm -hmm. worker and and had a four wheel drive pickup. And, you know, from our earliest days, just he they my parents, you know, always wanted to give back and, and help others. And so being of service was just something that was, I guess, ingrained in me from a very early age, helping other people. And that's something that's resonated with me really my my entire life. Uh, you know, kind of you think of church and ministry, the role of the deacon. You know, I love I love helping, love setting up and caring for people. Um, and you know, as a banker, I get to do that every day. It's it's caring for now in a leadership role, our staff. But as a banker, you know, I get to care for my customers and help 
pour into our community and, and provide jobs for people, provide the financing for business owners that allow them to provide jobs for other people in our community and to and to build up those those communities, whatever we were serving. So it's uh, it's been a great career for me and, you know, super involved in, in our church, which we love our church and our church family and provides an opportunity to to be a part of that leadership team and give back uh, there as well. So, um yeah, I don't know. That, that's maybe me, me, me in a nutshell. Started at a very, very early age, and and I've just uh, I, I I love serving others. It brings me a lot of joy. I, I say a lot of times it's kind of selfish because when I do it, it brings me a lot, probably more joy than the others who receive it. I'd much rather be on the the giving end than the receiving end. I'm a, I'm I'm really poor at receiving gifts or letting others do things for me. I want to be the one doing it. You know, I got insight into your personality. I remember the first two words that you ever spoke to me when we met. You know, we were introduced by Jeff Hustle at that Vistage meeting where I came in and did um, uh, an early talk on social leadership and how to become trauma-informed and bias-aware, how to be a social leader in the community. And when I asked everybody in the room, what does the word uh, social leadership, what do those words mean to you? We went around the room and do you remember your first two words? What did you say? Uh, I do. I think it was tree hugger. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I said social leader, you said tree hugger. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to have an uphill battle with this guy convincing him. But then as it turns out, as we went around the room, you know, you were just being funny because First Federal and you personally in your leadership role have really committed to what I call social leadership, that idea of bringing together the best of the business and the faith and the philanthropic sector in order to do more social good in our life and our leadership. And I think you embody that so beautifully, but I'll never forget your, your words, tree hugger, I thought, man, I've got a tough audience ahead of me today. But, um, you know, let's talk about our partnership because Thelma's Kitchen at Reconciliation Services, you know, we address 19% food insecurity in the community and we're, we're, we're doing all sorts of social and trauma therapy services associated. But we just partnered, uh, First Federal and Thelma's Kitchen, you guys were the first sponsor, the lead sponsor, gave a gift of $5,000 from the bank to help kick off our August campaign that we just finished. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because I know you challenged the community as our lead sponsor. Yeah, I, I did. You know, uh, for us, uh, giving back is just baked into the culture at First Federal, and it really starts with our board of directors. And each year, they reaffirm for us, we have a corporate giving and volunteer statement. And so, we set aside five and a half percent of all of our pre-tax earnings to reinvest in the community and to help build up uh, organizations just like Thelma's Kitchens and others that are that are helping folks kind of achieve financial prosperity. And some of them, it's on the very basic end of just, hey, they need to meet basic needs. Others, it's financial education and home ownership and and helping folks put together a budget. Uh, but our, it starts at our board level. And so, you know, we have a desire to to pour those dollars back into the community that we serve. And, you know, when I heard, uh, you know, the story of Thelma's Kitchen, uh, when we got to meet at Vistage and, uh, you know, we host a number of meetings more so pre-COVID than, than now that we're in right. kind of, I don't know, COVID 2.0 or whatever this is, but, right. you know, we had 
we would bring in lunches from a number of different organizations and say, gosh, here's an opportunity for us to partner with people whose values mirror ours that are wanting to build up our community. And so what a great opportunity to, to start buying our meals, our lunches as we go forward and donate some back. And then when we heard about the challenge, we we're like, boy, this is just right in our wheelhouse. You know, not only is this an organization that, that shares our desire to serve our community, to build up our community and to help others, but here's an opportunity for us to, to help lead this initiative and and challenge the other financial institutions in, in the metropolitan area and a number of other companies. And was so excited to see so many others step up and, and I say step up, just join us, come alongside us uh, right. in that challenge and, uh, and help you guys meet that goal. It was just great. You know, our employees, uh, one of our proof of value statements is our, our employee, we want to hire employees that have a heart for service. And, hmm. you know, when we said, hey, we're doing this with Thelma's Kitchen, you know, here's an opportunity for us to go help make lunches. You know, again, I'll say, you know, we sold out, you know, within the first hour of, of you know, shooting out an email, who wants to come join us with that? And, you know, I think that speaks to the types of individuals that are attracted to come to work for First Federal. Uh, anytime we have a volunteer opportunity, we usually have waiting lists for those things. Uh, that's awesome. And I want to get to company culture in just a second, because I want to unpack a lot of what you just said. But, you know, we were so grateful that you guys came forward as the lead sponsor. And then what I loved seeing in addition to that generosity was you on a video <clears throat> where you're challenging your colleagues and other businesses in Kansas City and just really, you know, getting other people to catch fire with the vision of Thelma's Kitchen and the kind of uh, leadership that you're putting out into the community. And in fact, our goal, if you remember, was to raise $40,000 in the month of August for Thelma's Kitchen and to get sponsored 1,000 of our pay it forward tokens that help us to feed the hungry who can't donate anything in the community. And I'm super excited to report that we actually raised $43,000. We beat our goal. And not only did we raise a thousand tokens, pay it forward, but we actually hit a thousand four hundred tokens. So, you know, I just, you know, want to express to you and to First Federal Bank uh, such gratitude because you kicked it off and the, the community and many other organizations really chipped in to help us meet that goal and send us off into the uh, end of the third quarter and fourth quarter here really strong to help the community. So again, thank you for that. Let's let's unpack something before we jump into culture. You talked about something just a second ago. You said that your company gives away 5% of pre-earnings uh, revenue, pre-tax revenue, maybe you said. I mean, that's quite a commitment. I know a lot of people give from the margins of their life, you know, hey, with what's left over, we'll give some. But you're making a commitment as a bank, as a board to give away 5% of your gross profits. How did you get to that? And and where did the inspiration for that come from? And what's what's that like living that out as a company? Sure. Yeah, well, just to be clear, it's five and a half percent of our pre-tax earnings. And so the five and a half percent kind of equates to about 10 percent. So it comes back to tithing, if you will, wow. for, for us uh, as an organization. And, um, you know, we were inspired by another mutual institution that had a similar statement years ago. And uh, we put that in place, gosh, seven, eight, nine years ago to just make an organizational commitment to that. And it, those dollars are important for us to show our commitment, you know, when you think of a for-profit entity and, and to compare us to a Bank of America or somebody with stockholders, you know, 
our our shareholders, if you will, are the communities that we serve. And so taking those dollars is like paying dividends back to our customers, but it's paying dividends back to our community. And as we reinvest in organizations like Thelma's Kitchen, or if might talk about the grooming project a little bit later, those types of organizations, that's paying a dividend back to our community that's that's building up the entire community so that everyone can thrive, not just Again, if you think about a, you know, the owners of Bank of America, whoever that might be, if you pay a dividend, well, you're going to enrich the lives of a handful of people. When we invest in organizations like Thelma's Kitchens and others, we're lifting up the entire community because that, that kind of rising tide lifts all ships, if you will. Right. So we 100 percent believe in, in that. You know, that statement goes on, you know, when we have. Uh, employees that want to go on mission trips, you know, we allow them to take that leave unpaid. We'll help actually pay for their travel or a portion of that when they do that. Wow. If we have organizations that our employees are passionate about and giving to, we'll match some of that giving as well. And matter of fact, a lot of the organizations that we support were brought to us by our employees and their organizations they're passionate about that they're already serving on the boards or giving of their time to. Yeah, you know, I know that banks, and I think it's probably common knowledge, at least in the business community, that banks have CRA dollars that they have to reinvest, which is a, you know, federal incentive to do good in the community. But this seems like it goes way beyond that. It, it seems that not only are you meeting those obligations, but the company's culture has really been shaped around those priorities as the leader of a for-profit entity uh, that, that has as its mission, not just to do good in the community, but to make a profit as well, which is you know a, a big part of returning that value to the shareholders, the, as, even as a mutual bank. Um, what is it that you prioritize in your leadership? How do you build that culture and maintain that vision, that priority for social leadership in your daily life and work? How do you build that culture? Uh, you know, our values drive that for us as an organization. You know, we we have a, a book that we just call it's called the Blue Book because I'm a banker and we're not very creative, but <laughs> it lists our mission, vision, and values, and uh, we promote all of the good that we do in our community. Our our first value is to serve one another, and, and you know that comes back to our proof of value statement that we hire people with hearts for service. And, and, you know, giving back to the communities that we serve is one of our proof of value statements. We talk about these things on, if not a daily, a monthly basis with our staff. And they're ingrained into the goals we have as an organization. Uh, you know, our leadership is expected to be involved in the community and serve on nonprofit uh, boards and be a part of organizations that are giving back and building up our community stronger. It's It's a uh, I would say it's just a part of our culture and it's our expectation that if you're going to be a part of our organization, we are a community bank. We are here to serve our community. And that's not just coming in and doing your job eight to five. Uh, we talk about stewardship a lot in, in our organization. And, you know, I, uh, I joke with my brothers and sisters in Vistage from time to time, you know, uh, as the CEO of a mutually owned financial institution, you know, this isn't my money. And, and you know, mm. when you own your own small business, it's it's maybe your money. But if you think of it from a Christian perspective, none of it's our money. <laughs> We're right. stewards of all of it, whether it's my small business or someone else. But at First Federal, that, that 
sense of stewardship is is uh, maybe more important to us than some other organizations. And so when we look at our earnings or the assets that we've been entrusted with by, in this case, the community, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, I view that as, you know, that's been a, a blessing to me from a higher power. And as a steward, it's my job to to reinvest, to direct those, to not only direct our staff, but the resources of our institution to build up our community and, you know, not necessarily go and preach on every corner, but we have to meet these basic needs and show people that they're loved and cared for. And you don't have to do that necessarily, you know, and, and have a cross around your neck, but you can do that as a, as an organization, just because it's the right thing to do, regardless of your faith, people need to know that they're, they're loved and cared for. And there's people out there that want to invest in them, regardless of where they're at in life. Uh, you know, we have a, we have a brand anthem uh, statement. That's maybe more like a, a manifesto. You know, we beat this into our people and, and the statement says, you know, at first federal bank of Kansas city, we believe no matter how much money someone makes or where they live, they can create a better financial future for themselves, their family, and the people's lives they touch. And we have an extraordinary opportunity to help them on that on their journey. And mm. yeah, I think that speaks to who we are as an organization. No matter how little you have or how much you have, you can help somebody. And, and we think that's our, our obligation as a community bank to, to help people understand that. I love that notion of an anthem, you know, because everybody wants to, to understand that the work that they do every day has greater meaning than sitting in a cubicle and pushing paper. They want to know that the things that they're contributing to make a difference uh, in, in the areas that they're passionate in. Um, I want to touch on the aspect of faith because you've brought it up a number of times. And look, you and I both lead organizations that are not specifically churches, right? I Reconciliation Services doesn't proselytize in our work. We're a 501c3 public benefit charity, but obviously I'm a priest and I talk about our work being faith inspired um, as opposed to you know a church, which would be faith based in a real specific sense. But being faith inspired as a leader sounds like it's important to you. But we both recognize that uh, we have to be all things to all people. We have to hire equitably. We've got to be able to lead organizations that uh, treat everybody well, no matter where they come from. How do you balance that as a leader? How, how does faith uh, come to be a part of your daily life and, and work? And, and really, how do you balance that as a leader? I think there are a lot of leaders who have faith of some sort, right? Or some religious or spiritual beliefs, but people are reticent to bring that into their work and life. But gosh, it seems to have such an impact. Um, how do you balance that? And and how do you lead as a CEO with faith? Yeah. All right. it's, it's a great question. And, and it's honestly, it's one I struggle with because I never want someone in our organization to not feel welcome just because right. they don't share whatever my beliefs are. But you know, uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't hide that. It's a big part of who I am. It's what drives the way I lead my family, my organization. And so I don't try to hide that either. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we'll, you know, start meetings, you know, with certain groups of people with prayer. You know, I, I just got an email from an employee who said, hey, I want to start a prayer group at, at First Federal. And, you know, we have a number of people that are battling illnesses. And, you know, as we've gone through COVID, people are battling depression and issues with family. And so mm. we want to be here to lift them up. But 
for those folks that maybe aren't Christians, uh, I don't want them to necessarily feel excluded either. So we're we're trying to find the way that we walk that forward and make sure that if you're not a part of that group or don't want to be a part of that group, that we're meeting your needs uh, as well. And I'll say you know that that extends to a number of different areas for us to make sure everybody feels welcome in, in our organization and it permeates all that we do. Uh, it was, gosh, maybe three or four years ago, we were looking at our health benefits and just something that I was oblivious to, you know, our, our benefits excluded domestic partners. And hmm. we have a handful of people in our organization who are either, you know, male and female and and just not married and and have been together for years and, and have a family and have children. Or, or folks that, you know, are, are, are same sex and either got married somewhere else or, or, or aren't, but they were excluded from our health benefits and, and participating in all the other benefits of being a, kind of a part of our first federal family, if you will. And so we went back to our health provider and said, you know, we want to amend our plan. We want to make sure that everybody is included in, in our benefits. Uh, and so I think being open to those types of things that maybe some might perceive uh uh, maybe conservative Christian, if you will, or faith would uh, uh, judge or exclude those kinds of uh, individuals. Uh, we want to make sure everyone feels welcome in, in our organization. And so looking at all those things that might make people feel excluded, while I can talk about faith, I also have to talk about being open and loving and welcome, which is what I think Jesus would want me to do. So uh, mm. uh, not sitting in the, the judgment seat. Yeah, I love this idea of making sure that we harness the best of business, faith, and philanthropy. And I'm not just talking about my faith or your faith. I'm talking about the faith sector. You know, when I think about business, for example, business is awesome at being able to scale, test market conditions, bring new ideas to market quickly, pivot, all the things that business is great at. Business isn't, however, always good, even in, in a mutually owned bank, right? It doesn't have to be the case that business is good at taking care of people or keeping the guardrails on human dignity. And that's where I think various faiths uh, really come into play, keeping those guardrails on what it is to be compassionate, what it is to be merciful. And um, But the faith sector doesn't really do a good job of, for example, scaling or bringing products to market. That's not what it does, right? But then you've got philanthropy. And philanthropy is really good at making up the gap or you know, filling needs where there isn't a market condition that would fill that need. But it it tends to be pretty slow, right? And there's this grant starvation cycle that happens. And so I look at that and I say, look, if we're going to be social leaders, we've got to harness the best of business, faith, and philanthropic sectors in order to do as much good as we can. And I know that you guys are actually really trying to do this. You mentioned earlier th the grooming project and Natasha, who's the founder and CEO, is a good friend. And we have partnered at various times with the grooming project. In fact, one of their first graduates was a graduate of our trauma therapy program. And if you don't know the grooming project, it, it helps uh, women and their families move forward by teaching them job skills, particularly dog grooming, and then helping them with all sorts of wraparound services. And, and I'm sure Natasha is cringing at my description of, <laughs> of her organization, but we're just going to let that be. But you guys have a priority as a bank to help people not just have second chance banking, but you really want to help folks to, to build wealth and prosperity who've 
traditionally been excluded from that. Tell me a little bit about your work in the community when it comes to helping people uh, build prosperity in their own lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Grooming Project is a great example of one of those partnerships for us. You know, we believe, and I'll have to step back, you know, we're a, a you know, a 90 year old savings and loan. And so we're passionate about home ownership and, and, and home ownership for us, you know, we don't make business loans or, or commercial loans or help small business customers. We're focused on consumers. And, and the reason we are is when you look at the statistics or the data, you know, the communities where home ownership is higher, divorce rates are lower, community engagement's higher, charitable giving's higher, children do better in school, uh, you know, uh, high school success rates, kids going to college, all of those things are higher. And so we stepped back and then started saying, okay, well, what are the barriers to entry, if you will, to home ownership? And, and Natasha's group's done a great job of finding those people that are that are maybe on the margins or have been marginalized by society or have had a traumatic event in their life uh, and then training them and teaching them and giving them skills. And for us, getting those types of folks back into the banking system. Uh, I heard a statistic the other day, and so I, I'll, I'll share it. I'm not sure if it's right or, or, or not, but uh, we also have a program that's that's focused on, on I-10 customers or uh, uh, immigrants who are just trying to realize the American dream and, and, mm. and be a part and, and integrate into and into our society. And, and That's be certainly a, an issue right now when you think about people coming oh. from Afghanistan and many other countries. Yeah. And, and so, you know, these folks had would pay as much as 10 or $15,000 in check cashing fees over uh, a, a period of 10 years. And so uh, you, you think of uh, Natasha's group and them being excluded from the banking system if they're having to go to these payday lenders or, or check cashing places that charge really high fees. You know, we wanted to get them back into the banking system and show them how to budget and the importance of that and having a checking account, having an emergency savings account, and then let the, letting them start acquire or build some wealth so that one day, if they chose to, they could own a home and and again, be a part of our community that, again, is kind of raising all of those ships up, if you will. And so we love organizations like the Grooming Project and to partner with them, uh, people that share our passion for serving others and, and helping lift up individuals. Because as we do that, again, we feel like we build up our entire community. When we take those people that are on the margins or on the fringes and pour into them, it just lifts up our entire community. Man, that's awesome. And I, I think that there are a number of banks that try to help in that area. But what I love is that you guys have really focused on a particular nonprofit or two and, and created a deep synergistic partnership there where you can go deep and, and really get with those neighbors who are most in need. I mean, I can attest from the 5,000 clients that we serve a year at Reconciliation Services, almost nobody is banked but everybody that we serve needs to be able to move forward, not just in the basic needs like we've talked about. You know, For example, at RS this year, I think we'll do over a million dollars in just evictions relief. But once you're stably housed, you also need to be able to save. You need to be able to build wealth. And wealth isn't built with your job. Wealth is built over generations. And there are um, huge swaths of our community, particularly in communities of color, who have been excluded from banking, who have been excluded, whether that's through uh, economic disinvestment or through, you know, the history of banking itself. And so I think it's really important 
Uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think it's really important for us to recognize that there are people who need access to economic opportunity who, although the playing field is more level now than it has been, we have to overcome those historical hurdles, right? If you haven't been a homeowner, if your granddad or great granddad or grandmother weren't homeowners, you might be the first one. But if you haven't had that home, you haven't been able to build equity. You haven't been able to build financial stability. And so I really applaud the work that you guys are doing there. But it really does start with just being able to cash checks and get loans. Like, for example, most of our folks don't have cars. And you guys are doing some work trying to get people auto loans, right? Yeah, that's great. Uh, again, another uh, result of our partnership with the Grooming Project. And again, looking at you know what are the hurdles to uh, financial success for people. Again, a lot of these people that were on the fringes didn't have access to the banking system or had had, had credit issues that were a result of, of a number of life situations that might have come their way. But as they've gone through the financial education system, they're now, you know, uh, well trained and have a career in front of them and opportunities. We're able to then partner with the grooming project and uh, um, provide auto loans for them in partnership with the grooming project that that we can make sure that they're successful. Not only do they now have a checking account, they have reliable transportation. And so you know, you talk about these groups that, that have been excluded from the, the banking system. A lot of them lack transportation to get to a good paying job or they maybe have one car in the family. And when it breaks down, all of a sudden they lose all of their sources of employment. And so. Right. Transportation is a huge issue for uh, our communities that have been on the fringes uh, wherever they're at uh, within Kansas City. Yeah, we're, we're hitting on a lot of really important topics, thinking about equitable transportation, thinking about uh, the way that we bank our neighbors and the way that we try to help all ships rise together. I want to loop back as we kind of approach the end of our time together. Um, but, bef but before we wrap, I really want to go back to this idea of culture. You know, I've, I've got a board member at Reconciliation Services, General David Komar, and he runs an organization that specifically consults on company culture. And one of the things that he's taught me is that I think if you ask CEOs and senior leaders all across, whether it's nonprofits or for profits, everybody will tell you how important culture is in an organization. But when you say, show me your strategic plan for building and sustaining your culture, you know, everybody would kind of, a lot of people scratch their head and say, uh, you know, so if it's one of the most important things that we need to do, one of the things David's taught me is that we really have to plan for it and execute on that. I think you've touched on a number of ways that you build culture and that you recruit, but what can you share with somebody who wants to be a social leader, somebody who's got that uh, privilege of leading in, in their sphere, whatever that sphere is, how do they go about building culture that is uh, oriented towards social good and social leadership? Yeah. Uh, great question. You know, uh, and I'll maybe answer it uh, in two ways. First of all, I think it has to start, you know, at home, if you will, in your organization. You know, at First Federal, we talk about the First Federal family. And so, mm -hmm. you know, giving back, caring, serving others starts with us serving each other. And that's part of our culture. And we actually build it into our annual employee reviews. We talk about it monthly with our staff. What are we doing to live out? We, you as an individual, what are you doing to live out our values? And that is our culture. Every new product service that we offer gets run through, if you will, that 
that funnel of does it meet all of these objectives that we've established for our organization and, and the things that we've said are important to us. And if not, then we don't pursue it or, uh, or we've got the wrong values. And I think we have the right values as an organization. And so, um, you know, when we hire people, we hire based on those values as well. And so we have specifically designed interview questions to, to vet that. Is this somebody we look at, you know, what do they do in their spare time? Do they enjoy giving back? Are they participating in their community? Uh, simple things, do they use we or they do, do they use I uh, in, mm. in, in their interview process? And so, you know, that starts there, you know, when we entered the pandemic and we knew this was going to be tough for folks, you know, a, a couple of months in, you know, you know, we sent gifts out to all of our employees and said, hey, we've been stuck at home a lot. You know, here's a gift card to Amazon, you know, get a board game, do something fun with your family. You know, we've all been cooped up. So I'll, I'll say giving back that culture, you have to demonstrate that internally before just putting something on the wall and saying, this is who we are. Well, they have to see you walking the walk and, and, and talking the talk inside your organization. And secondarily, as the CEO and your leaders, you have to be the chief evangelist, which for me is the hardest thing. You know, I'm an accountant. I said earlier, I'd much prefer the, the, the role of deacon. You know, I would much rather just go around and care for my people as opposed to being the person who is the champion and talking about it. But, you know, we have all bank meetings now, you know, once a month and, and we talk about what are we doing to live out our values? This is our culture. How are we living this out? We promote all of the activities that we have within our community and those volunteer opportunities and the impact that we're having. You know, the, the value of social media is now we can highlight those stories. And, you know, I, I love Andy Stanley's, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for many. And so telling yeah. the story of the one person that you've helped, uh, you know, which, you know, you wish you could do it for all, you know, 5,000 or 10,000, but, you know, we're going to do it with one and we're going to start there and we're going to do it with another one. And we tell those stories. So you have to say it and, you know, you have, you have to say it again and again and again. You have to say it until people are, you think they're sick of it and then say it some more, because if you're not talking about, it, if you're not doing, if you're not leading from the top with whatever you want your culture to be and not just saying it, you have to do it. You know, I attend a lot of our volunteer opportunities. One, again, I said earlier, selfishly, I love doing it. It brings mm. me a lot of joy. Uh, but, you know, I want to be out there. It's a great opportunity for me to engage with staff that I don't get to see a lot. Is, is mm. Again, we're coming up on two years in COVID. We've been working remotely. Uh, there's people that I haven't got to see for a very long time. So it's an opportunity for me to engage with them. But leadership has to be involved intimately and be, again, the chief evangelist or, or uh, uh, you know, the one beating the drum. Well, you've given us today uh, in our short 35 minutes so many tips, both uh, from a, a company standpoint, but also I think if you go back and listen and get out the pen and paper, I think you've given a lot of personal tips, personal practices that people who want to become social leaders, who want to learn to lead with greater social impact, can, can learn from the things that you've brought out today. And there are practices, both corporately and personally, that I think we all need to, to focus in on. You know, one of my favorite quotes from Rosa Parks, she said that, I believe that we're here on the planet Earth to live, to grow, and to do what we can to make this world a better place for people so that they can all enjoy freedom. And I think 
you have hit that nail on the head. You've, you've not only just been living and growing, but I really hear that you and your team at First Federal Bank of Kansas City are doing the doing part also. You're really working on it. And so I, I appreciate you. I applaud you. And I thank you for being an example in Kansas City of social leadership. As we wrap up, is there any last thing that you want to share with our audience? I just want to say, you know, thanks for this opportunity. I love the conversation, you know, and I really think for us to be successful and, you know, the, the problems that our country, that that our community are facing, it's going to take public, private, government partnerships. It's, you know, it can't be all on the nonprofits. It can't be, it's not a government problem and and it's not necessarily just a bank or a private issue, uh, a, a, the public sector kind of issue. We all have to come together. So I, I love what you're doing, Father Justin. I appreciate the opportunity to, to partner. We need uh, a whole lot more partnerships like this. And uh, if there's any other business leaders out there uh, listening, I would just challenge them to, you know, if they haven't gone through the the, the social leader uh, course, they need to do it that, you know, you need to, to figure out, you know, what your why is and what you're able to do. You know, it was, it was the the, the first command that, you know, that God gave to Adam, you know, go and, and, and care, care for the garden, you know, and that, that's what we're here to do. We have to care, care for our community, care for each other. So uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. J.R. Buckner, president and CEO of First Federal Bank of Kansas City. Thanks for joining us on the Social Leader Podcast. Thanks for being you. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your support of Reconciliation Services and Thelma's Kitchen. I hope we get to have you back on the program in the future soon. Thanks so much, J.R. Thank you.